Brother Barry and our dear brothers and sisters and our Lord Jesus Christ and our dear young people. We'd like to turn to an Old Testament scripture to begin our considerations tonight and we refer in particular to Psalm 30. There's a little verse in Psalm 30, brothers and sisters and young people, which really does underline the importance of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we know, it was the eternal spirit of God and we very often call it the Spirit of Messiah who penned most of the Psalms. And in verse 9 of Psalm 30 we read, What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? And so the question that the Spirit of Messiah is asking us to consider is this, brethren and sisters, it really would not matter how perfect the life was It would not matter how obedient he was into his father's will to hang upon a tree if he was never to come out of the grave. And so the spirit of Messiah says, what profit is there in everything before if I'm going to stay in the grave? No value whatsoever. That is in the eternal scale of things. Of course it was important, of course it was altogether lovely but without the resurrection there would be no power to what had been done beforehand. And so we'd like to turn over now into John chapter 5. In John chapter 5 we read something about the power of the Son of God. And it's a very interesting little exercise, brethren and sisters, to go through the titles of Christ in John chapter 5 and to see who says and who does what. And we're not going to embark on that tonight except to look at verse 25. And in John chapter 25 it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Now, brethren and sisters, what an ear-splitting voice that must be. A voice that dead people can hear? And it's not the voice of the Son of Man, it's the voice of the Son of God. And it's only the voice of the Son of God, brethren and sisters, that can ever bring from a state of deadness in trespasses and sins into enlightenment and life. It's the voice of the Son of God that has that power. And they that hear shall live. They were dead as we were dead in trespasses and sins. And they now live because they have heard the voice of the Son of God. And the epistle from which we will take our considerations this week together is the half-brother of that man. And though he does not lay claim to that title or that relationship in this epistle, we are quite sure that that's who that man was whose writings we are to consider together in some little detail. Let's look at another place, brethren and sisters, in this, in this Gospel of John, in chapter 17. 
And it tells us something about the epistle of James. It tells us something about every portion of the word of God. And that ear-splitting voice that the dead in trespasses and sins have heard and they have been morally awakened to righteousness and to life is not a voice of uncertainty. It's a voice, brethren and sisters, of very great definition. It's a voice of exactitude. And today, as our brother John has illustrated, we are living in days, brethren and sisters, when almost anything will do. And I was actually a little bit shocked by what John threw up on the overhead tonight to show us that there was a phrase left out from the original production of Anastasis and it tells us where we're going. We're going right into the lap, brethren and sisters, of that system that was missed out of the latter three editions of Anastasis. And some of, the, some of the writings of Brother Thomas will tell us over and over and over again that unless we are protesting against that system, we are not a light-bearing community. And he says that over and over again in his writings. And he bases it on Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. We won't have time to look at that now. You know what it says, brethren and sisters. It says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spirit, wicked spirits in high places. And once we give up that wrestling, once we give up that protesting, it doesn't matter how well we may believe the statement of faith, we're not a light-bearing community. And it was a very significant omission that John showed us on the overhead tonight. We need to remember, brethren and sisters, that we are no different from our forebears. And we can expect no different than our forebears if we are faithful to the voice of the Son of God who has indeed opened the eyes of our understanding and enlightened us to not only the truth of God but to the obnoxiousness with which God holds those systems that oppose him. Now in John chapter 17 and at verse, 23, we, uh, verse 3 we read this. And this is telling us something about the epistle of James. It says, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Brothers and sisters, if a part of the work of the inspiration of God in the Bible did not contain a help for us to know those two beings, God would have made a mistake, wouldn't he? Because this is life eternal to know them. And therefore, as a brother who has now been dead for about 17 years, taught us over and over and over again, whenever we go to the Bible, we need to find three things. We need to find God, we need to find his Son and we need to find ourselves. And if we don't find those three things in the Bible, brothers and sisters, wherever we go, we have missed the very point 
of the writings of the Holy Scriptures. And we're going to learn a lot about God in the epistle of James. We're going to learn a lot of things about the Lord of Glory in the epistle of James and we're going to learn a lot of things about ourselves in the epistle of James, brethren and sisters and young people. And that's what it's for. That's the totality of its message. To know not only those two glorious beings, but to come to know ourselves as well. And as we've said, we're going to learn a lot of things about those two beings and ourselves. Now, brethren and sisters, there is one word that very often is used to describe the writings of James. And this is not in any way to attack anybody who might use this word. But we need to think about what we say. We say, brothers and sisters, that James is a very practical epistle. Now, I'm going to ask you and me, what really does practical mean? Just think it over in your minds for a while. What does practical mean? Well, it obviously has got something to do with practice, doesn't it? Now, brethren and sisters and young people, do you need practice to go and put flowers on grandma's grave? Do you need practice to do that? Do you need practice to go and help somebody weed their garden? Do you need practice, brothers and sisters, to go and sweep the hall? Do you need practice to visit the sick? Do you need practice to comfort somebody who mourns? Do you need practice, brethren and sisters, to preach the gospel? Do you need practice to witness against that rotten system of the Antichrist? And brethren and sisters, I think you can see what we're saying. Practical very often means... Well, we ought to put up on our bedroom wall or on the back of the door or maybe in the toilet a little list of what we ought to do today. And there might be some very good things that are listed there on that little list. But if we were to suggest that we ought to have another list up there that says what we ought not to do, somebody would read that and they'd say, Oh, you're a bit Judaistic, aren't you? Brethren and sisters, what is the difference between a list of do's and a list of don'ts? What's the difference? To have a list of do's sounds nice and to have a list of don'ts doesn't sound very nice. But what's the difference? And go right back, brethren and sisters, to the time of our enlightenment to the time of our resurrection, to the time of our hearing of the voice of the Son of God and our beginning to live. And what did we promise to yield? Well, we promised to yield our members unto righteousness. We promised, brethren and sisters, in short, to yield the obedience of faith. 
We promised that we would give our life. We promised, brothers and sisters, that we wouldn't just give our hands and our feet. We promised that we would give our very being. We promised that we would give our mind, our intellect, our emotion. As Brother Thomas used to say, lock, stock and barrel. And there's nothing that we didn't promise to yield. And while there are some things, brethren and sisters, that we need practice to accomplish, there are others that we don't need much practice to accomplish. And when you think it through, brethren and sisters, what is there that we can do with those hands that we can take into the kingdom of God? Is there anything? What is there, brethren and sisters, that we can do with any of the external organs of our body that we can take into the kingdom of God? Nothing. But there's another work, brethren and sisters, that we can all do and upon whom we are called, upon which we are called to do, and that is the training of our tongue. And James has a lot to say about that. And the Bible tells us that the tongue of the wise is health. And the tongue of the wise is a tree of life. And there's only really one organ of the body, brethren and sisters, which we can use whose effect can be taken into the kingdom of God. And that's our tongue. And it's the hardest member to control and James tells us that. And it's the best member we've got. It's the most useful member that we've got. And it needs an awful lot of practice. And so, brothers and sisters, in our quest in the epistle of James, we want to come more closely to know God. We want to come more closely to know his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to come more closely to know ourselves. And those three things, brothers and sisters, I'm suggesting are the most practical things we can ever, ever do. And if we come to know our God and to know Jesus Christ and to know ourselves, there's absolutely no doubt when, where we will be when he who is the resurrection and the life appears again in the earth. There's no question where we'll be. And the, the, the writer James, under the inspiration of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, is able to tell us about our God. He's able to tell us about his Son. And more importantly, even yet, perhaps, he is able to open out to us exactly what we are. And he's able to tell us of what stuff we are made, of what passions lie in our deep, deepest intentions and in our deepest emotions and thoughts. He's able to expose that for us. He's able to take us, brothers and sisters, to look into the perfect law of liberty. He's able to take us to look at a mirror of ourselves upon the wall and to walk away and remember what we saw. 
And I suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that is not a very easy thing. You try it right tonight when you go back to your caravan or to your room. Look in the mirror, turn away and see if you can see exactly what was there. It's not very easy because sometimes we don't want to see exactly what's there. Sometimes we want to see something that is better than what's there. Sometimes we may even want to see something worse than what is there. But that's not very common. And so what we need to understand when we approach this little epistle of just five chapters, brethren and sisters, we need to understand that to be doers of the word is not merely to be confined to things done, to places visited, to good deeds performed. It's to come to know our God. It's to come, brethren and sisters, to understand that practical issues spring out of doctrinal ones. And we will not be able to have practical issues unless we first know the doctrinal ones. They are locked together as cause and effect. And to know our doctrines, brothers and sisters, is not very commonly understood among us today. As Brother John has thrown up on the screen tonight, you think, brothers and sisters, about the days of Brother Thomas and Brother Roberts and we've got a rose-coloured picture about the truth in those days, haven't we? But you read their writings, the more you read them, the more you find out that they lament the coldness of the hearts of the brethren and sisters. The more you read them, the more you find out that they lament over the fact that there are people going off in this direction and that direction and some other direction. Even to the extent that we find out that the first doctrinal issue in the brotherhood was belief in the immortality of the soul. Can you believe that? Well, brothers and sisters, it's not far away from us today because you hear people musing and I'm talking about brothers and sisters you hear them musing I wonder why God called me it must have been because he saw something good in me perish the thought brothers and sisters there's no good in the flesh God doesn't owe us anything we owe him everything and everything we have comes of him and there's no good thing in the flesh and Paul gives us very great testimony from that despite the fact that we see in James an almost repetitive gun at the shoulder, don't we? As he shoots off in very many issues of life, one after the other in rapid succession, despite that, brethren and sisters, it is studded over and over again with the warm terminology of him consistently addressing them and readdressing them as brethren or my beloved brethren. And we see that even though there seems to be a very straightforward and an uncompromising message that is delivered to us from his pen, he is obviously a man who was warm at heart and who loved the people who were the subject of his writing. And with just those few words in mind, brothers and sisters, we just want to run through now the five chapters of James and we just want to connect them with the titles you have in your program And you might like to run through them with us just to conclude our few remarks tonight. 
And we're just going to make one little sentence over and over again on the basis of these matters. Our first session is going to be called Awake to Wisdom and Err Not. And we want to try and connect it with the way of Christ's death and resurrection. And you think about this, brethren and sisters. If the tree to which Christ was nailed does not speak to us of the wisdom of God, what will? And we go on to the second chapter. Awake to righteousness and sin not. If the matters related to Christ's death and his resurrection do not speak to us of righteousness, what can? <coughs> and we go on to the third chapter. Awake to holiness and lie not. If the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ does not speak to us of the eternal truth of deity, what may? And in the fourth chapter, awake to humility and boast not. If our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, hanging on the tree and subsequently resurrected does not speak to us of a great humbling of himself, whatever will. And awake to suffering and resist not. If the same tree does not speak to us of the magnitude of the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ, whatever will. And so as we try to unlock some of the messages that are in this hard-hitting epistle of James, this earnestly practical epistle of James, brothers and sisters, it is all aimed at one thing. It's all aimed at making our minds right to receive him who is the resurrection and the life when he comes again.